Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, King David, he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen. I was watching some college football yesterday. And uh, y'all know I'm a Crimson Tide fan, so you know how this is going to go. But, you know, I watched Michigan play Ohio State. And they said in that stadium there was like 105,000 people packed in that stadium. And, you know, they were glad to be there. Well, at least most of the Michigan fans were glad to be there. Uh, <laughs> you know? Are we glad to be here today? We've got something a lot more exciting than the Buckeyes or the Wolverines have. We have the message of eternal life. Glory to God. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's something to get excited about. King David now, King David... He lived in a palace. I mean, he was, the, he was the man. But he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. He was excited about being a king, but he was more excited about being in the house of the Lord because he loved Yahweh. Hallelujah. I'm about to get fired up. We ain't even got, I didn't tell you where to turn. Turn to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 2. Now, I am going to refer to the, the term Christmas. Uh, probably numerous times in the coming weeks, but understand when I say the word Christmas, I'm not talking about the commercialized, secularized, Rudolph, Santa Claus, Black Friday, Cyber Monday stuff. I'm talking about the Advent story where Jesus Christ came, uh, God became a man, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so when I say Christmas, understand uh, that's what I'm talking about, the Bible narrative of the birth of Jesus Christ. The advent of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. So, uh, we're going to be in Joshua this morning, which is uh, right after the, the first five books of the law. And it's a transitional period. Uh, they've been circling in the wilderness for 40 some odd years. And now, the time has come for them to enter into the promised land. And they have come to this border city called Jericho. And Joshua is about to enter into the land, and uh, there's going to be a great victory. There's going to be many lives that are lost, and uh, it's, it's a real transitional time in the history of uh, the nation of Israel. But before, before Joshua is going to destroy, utterly destroy Jericho, there's, there's something that has to happen. There, there's, there's somebody in Jericho that God's got to get out before the city's destroyed. And, uh, and as we will see here this morning, she is an integral part of what we would refer to as the Christmas story. So I want to speak to you this morning from Joshua chapter 2 on this subject, Christmas in Jericho. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. I'm nothing without you. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Lord, let me be your mouthpiece. Let me be your vessel. Stretch forth your hand to heal. Let signs and wonders be done in the name of your holy child, Jesus. Father, confirm the word with signs following. Your word will never return void. And so I preach it with an expectation and an anticipation that faith will arise in the hearts. That those that are not saved will become justified today. That the saints will be sanctified and that all of us will be filled with your Holy Spirit. And I ask these things in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, let's get right in. Joshua 2, verse 1. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove. I'm reading from the New King James. I know your King James says something different there. but uh, To spy secretly, go view the land, especially Jericho. Okay. Now Joshua was some 38 years prior to that, he was a part of a 12-spy search uh, reconnaissance mission to go to uh, the land of promise. And he went there, and uh, apparently he learned his lesson. He didn't send 12 this time. He only sent two. Uh, <laughs> if you know, 10 of those 12 spies came back with an evil report, a bad report, and only two had a good report, and they were who? Joshua and Caleb. And here's Joshua, one of those two faithful witnesses. And he's about to enter into the land. And he sends out two men 
And he says, uh, secretly. So apparently this is not even known to the, the Israelites, okay? Sometimes you don't need to tell everybody everything, amen? That's just, they don't, and don't, don't worry that the pastor and the deacons are doing a bunch of secret stuff. But I'm just telling you that you don't need to tell everybody everything. And, uh, and, there, and you see how it worked out last time, right? They came back, they had a board meeting, and the ten board members said, we can't go into the land. And they spent the next 38 years uh, dropping like flies in the desert. So uh, Joshua, he's not holding a board meeting here, and he's not uh, taking a vote. He's not taking a survey to see if they need to go into the promised land. This is not a mission of unbelief here. Joshua is not trying to figure out if they can take the land. He knows they're going to. He's just, he's just going out of the land. And I just happen to believe that maybe Joshua's going through the land to see if there's anybody that can be spared. I don't know. But he's, he's spying out the land here, and especially Jericho. It says, so they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab. Now, her name is probably not pronounced Rahab. It's probably Raham. But we're also familiar with saying Rahab, that I'm going to say Rahab, okay? And uh, it's just kind of like Baal, B-A-A-L. His name is not Baal, it's Baal, but that gets a little cumbersome after a while. Uh, when every time I hear Rahab, I think about uh, uh, Ahab the Arab, the sheik of the burning sand. <laughs> and everybody under the age of 20 is like, what is he talking about? <laughs> Good, it's worth a Google. Uh, but anyway... So Rahab, we'll just call her, as we're used to calling her, Rahab uh, is a harlot. Now, the Hebrew word for harlot is also the name for innkeeper. And so some have decided that, well, uh, they, they want to soften it up a little bit and say, well, she was not really a, a harlot, a prostitute. She was just uh, uh, an innkeeper. And she probably did have a way station. It probably was uh, an inn that she managed, a place... That's why the two spies go there. Uh, it was a place where commerce, you know, there'd been a lot of travelers coming in and out. And, uh, and that's why they went there. But if you look in the Greek text, in the New Testament, she's referred to as Rahab the harlot in Hebrews 11 and in James 2. And the word clearly means prostitute, okay? So uh, Rahab is, is a harlot. And they lodged there. Now, they went out secretly, right? They're on a reconnaissance mission. But apparently they were not as inconspicuous as they thought because it says immediately, uh, it was told the king of Jericho saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So if they were trying to uh, be covert, they, they failed in that mission. But, but uh, anyway, so the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who have entered into your house for they have come to search out all the country. Uh-oh. We got, we got a problem now. So the woman, is she going to hand them over to the king of Jericho? No, you've read the story, you know. So let's see. So then the woman took the two men and she hid them. Wow. That's a risky move. She's going to hide them. And she said, uh, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out, and where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. <laughs> but she had brought them up to the roof and had hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan and to the fords, and as soon as those who had pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. All right, let's just look at this. Now, a lot is made of the fact that Rahab lied to the, uh, the, the messengers. And, you know, the Bible does not endorse the lie of Rahab. But to speak about the, uh, the morality of what she did here is beyond the scope of the narrative here. Um, I will say this, and I don't advocate situational ethics, but sometimes people do the right thing for the wrong reasons, and sometimes people do the wrong thing for the right reasons. You think about the Hebrew midwives when they were ordered to kill the male babies and they didn't do that and, and so it was a more righteous decision to spare the spies the, the lie is not endorsed okay lying is not okay but the point here is not Rahab's Rahab's a Canaanite you know she, she doesn't have the law of Moses she's, she's just kind of operating in the framework with which she her frame of reference her worldview, and so she was probably accustomed to lying and so she just does what she's always done but uh, we're going to see that she's a woman of faith 
So she tells them to go on, and, uh, and uh, the people are not here. Now, verse 8, before they lay down, this, these are the two spies, she came up to them on the roof. Now, that might seem a little strange to us, but her house is built on the wall, and the roof was probably like the innermost chamber in her house. Her house was built within the, uh, there's probably an outer wall and an inner wall and some uh, whatever they would use to build. I would say OSB or plywood or sheetrock, but you know, whatever they would use to build in there. And she's got this room, this inner chamber. And she goes to them and she's, she makes a statement of faith that's profound for anybody, let alone a Canaanite prostitute. She says, I know that the Lord, is Lord all caps in your Bible? It, it should be. Because that's not just the word for God, that's the covenant name of God. That's Jehovah or Yahweh. The four Hebrew consonants, yod heh vav heh in, in Hebrew. Jehovah or Yahweh is about as close as we can get in English. And that's how she refers to, them, to him. She says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And that the terror of you has fallen on us. And all, that he, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? It's been 40 years since God did all the Exodus account, you know, with the Red Sea and all of that. But Rahab's got faith. What about the ten spies? What did they say? They said, we can't go in because we're afraid of the people. They're not afraid of us. They're, we're grasshoppers and they're giants. You see... Their perception was not reality. She said, I know. She didn't say, I think. She was fully persuaded. It was a faith that was fully persuaded. She said, I know that Jehovah has given you the land. The terror of you has fallen on us. And that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how Jehovah, the Lord, dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. That was 40 years ago. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, notice she says, as soon as we heard these things, what happened? Our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. Why? Because of the Lord your God. <laughs> now look at this confession of faith. This is a Canaanite prostitute. Notice what she says about God. Goes right along with that song we just heard. What a lovely name. She said, The Lord your God, He is God. Now she lives in a culture of the, you know, a myriad of gods, a myriad of deities. But she said, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Wow. That's quite a statement of faith from a Canaanite prostitute. Profound. She understood something that even the Israelites didn't understand. You see, think about this for a moment. The Israelites, they had seen. She had only heard about the Red Sea being parted. They had seen the Red Sea parted. They had tasted of the manna that had come down from heaven. They had heard the voice of God. They had been led by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They had seen the Spirit of God come upon Moses and the 70 elders. They had tasted of the good word of God. They had tasted of the powers of heaven. They had tasted of the heavenly manna. They had seen the miracles. They had walked through the Red Sea not on slimy mud, but on what? Dry ground. And yet with all of that evidence, all of that compelling evidence, they said, no, nah, we're not able to go in. Our God can't deliver us from the Canaanites. But here this woman, this Canaanite prostitute, she just merely said, I have heard. <laughs> I've not seen. You saw, some people are sign chasers. Let me see a miracle and then I believe. Let, let, me see, let me see a sign and then I'll believe. No. You believe and then you see. That's how the, the economy of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that are not seen. 
And the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Romans chapter 10, he says, For faith, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. She had heard the word of the Lord. She had heard about God. And her faith was a genuine faith. We're going to find out that her faith was a saving faith. You know, there is a living faith and there is a dead faith. James talks about that. There's also a demonic faith. I'll get to that in here in just a moment. Now, she says, therefore I beg you, verse 12, swear to me by the Lord, Jehovah, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show me kindness, show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. Now here's this word kindness. It keeps popping up over and over in my studies of the Word of God. Anybody want to guess what that word kindness is in the Hebrew? You don't want to say it because it's tough to pronounce. It's hesed. You actually have to have that guttural thing, that hesed is what it really is, but I don't want to do that because you're going to think I'm trying to clear my throat. But it's hesed. And it's not always, you know, narrowly defined. Loving kindness, kindness, mercies of the Lord. Hesed. She says, and the word hesed, it, it carries with it the idea of covenant loyalty. You've read in the Psalms, praise ye the Lord, for he is good, for his hesed endures forever. David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he gets to the end. He said, surely... Goodness and mercy, goodness and hesed shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This idea of hesed, and this is what Rahab is looking for. Rahab is looking for a covenant. She's looking for covenant loyalty because she understands something about God. What does she know about God? God's a God who keeps his promises. Do you believe that? I believe that. Now, man will lie to you. But God will keep his promises. All the promises of God in him are yes and in him. Amen. And to the glory of God. She says, show me kindness. And she says, spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters. And deliver our lives from death. Let me say this to you. And if you get mad at me, do a heart check. A person that claims to be a Christian and has no concern for the lost. I believe has a dead faith and not a, a real faith. If you can be content to go to heaven and everybody else go to hell, you ain't got the real Jesus living in you. The real Savior, the real Holy Spirit, because when you truly get born again, not only are you thankful for your salvation, but you become concerned for the salvation of other people. And we don't talk about that a lot as an evidence of salvation, do we? But I believe that that is one, not the only one, certainly. But it is one of the evidences of true conversion is that now you have a burden for those who are not saved. And you want to share it with others. What a criminal act it would be to have all of this knowledge and not share it with other people. What a cruel thing to know that there's a way of escape. You, you, sometimes we think to ourselves, well, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to offend people. Listen. The kindest thing you can do to somebody is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Amen. And if they get offended, then so, so be it. But true love is not worried about just hurting somebody's feelings. I'd rather hurt your feelings and take you to heaven than tickle your ears and send you to hell. Alright. So the men answered her, Our lives for yours, if, not, if you if none of you tell this business of ours. And it shall be that when the Lord has given us this land, that we will deal kindly, we'll show hesed and truly with you. I love their report. Notice they're not saying if the Lord gives us the, the land. They're just saying, hey, whenever this happens, we'll take care of you. I love these two guys. These are guys of faith. They're, they're not shilly-shally, wishy-washy. Then she led them down by a rope through a window. For her, her house was on the city wall. Well, that would be a convenient, you know, I, I kind of imagine that she probably lived in what we would call a red light district. Everybody knew where Rahab lived. And, you know, whenever they saw somebody's horse parked out inside of Rahab's house, they knew they weren't there probably just getting a drink of water. 
Thank you. We got one sanctified person in here who laughed at that joke. The rest of you, I'm not laughing at that. What will people think? They'll think you're a religious, ah, never mind. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> she led him down by a rope through the window. Her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall, okay? And she said to them, go to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. There again, there's that idiom of the three days. You find that throughout the scripture, and I won't go into all that right now. Afterward, you may go your way. So she gives them a strategy whereby they can evade the pursuers from the king of Jericho. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head, um, if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us to swear. And then she said, according to your word, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed. And I love this. And she bound the scarlet cord in the window. Mm. <laughs> this red cord. So there were some conditions, you see. There's some conditions that you have to meet in order to be saved. <laughs> I know some people don't believe that. But the Bible says we can't come to God on our own terms. We don't. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, there's no exception. No man comes to the Father except by me. If you try to come any other way, you're a thief and a robber and the door won't be open to you. There's only one way to be saved, and that is Jesus Christ. And that is having a living faith in him. Not a dead faith. Not a demonic faith, but a, a saving faith. See, there's a difference. James mentions Rahab, the harlot. <laughs> Interestingly enough, you know how James mentions her, Brother Adam? Right alongside of Abraham. That's pretty good company. And two vastly different backgrounds. Would you agree? <laughs> I mean, Abraham... He's, he, you know, he's in the upper echelon. But Rahab the harlot is right there with Abraham. And it says in James, and I, I'm going to preach out of James hopefully soon, so I'm not going to get too far into it. But, but James says that there's, there's three kinds of faith. He said there's a dead faith. You know what that is? That's just an intellectual faith only. A lot of people have got dead faith. Well, I believe you believe certain creeds. You can repeat the creeds of the church, you know, you, you can memorize a catechism. You can say the Lord's Prayer, which is really the, the disciples' prayer. You know, all those things you could teach a parrot to do. I mean, if you had a good parrot. If he was worth his money, you know, you could train him to do all that stuff. That's, that's dead faith. There's a lot of people that believe intellectually. But you know, there's another kind of faith, and that's the demonic faith. You know what James said? He says, you believe that there's one God. That's the confession of every Messianic Jew, the Shema in Deuteronomy 6. The Lord, behold, O Israel, the Lord our God, he's one. Okay? He says, you believe there's one God, you do well. However, guess what? He said, the devil also believes. The, devil, the demons also believe. But he adds one thing. He says, and they tremble. That's a demonic faith. They believe... And they have an emotional, emotional response. They tremble. Okay? But the demons are not saved. They believe and they tremble. <laughs> but they're not saved. You know, it's interesting that demons believe stuff that even Christians don't believe. The devils believe Jesus is the Son of God. The devils believe in hell and the lake of fire. A lot of Christians don't. The devil believes that. You know who the devil also believes? You know what the devil also believes? The devil also believes that Jesus is the judge of the earth. Remember what the demon said? Have thou come to torment us before the time? 
See, the devil realizes a lot of things that, that many Christians don't realize. And that's a demonic faith. It's emotional. It's intellectual. But it doesn't change the heart. But then there's saving faith. And that's a transformational kind of faith. That's the kind of faith that changes you. Not externally, but from the inside out. Glory to God. That's the kind of trans where Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Now that doesn't mean we don't still have some old baggage we got to deal with. Amen. Amen. But old things are passed away and a few things have become new. Is that what it says? No. All things have become new. Jesus uses the analogy or the metaphor of a birth. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see or perceive the, the kingdom of God. The things of the Spirit of God are foolishness to the unbeliever. He can't perceive them. Rahab does not have dead faith. She doesn't have demonic faith. You know, we know that she was afraid, right? But her faith went beyond just knowing about the Red Sea miracles. It went beyond just having a fear and dread of what was going to happen to them. But her faith was transformational. And we know that because not only did she believe, but she acted on what she believed. Ultimately, your conduct will be informed by your confession. You will practice what you preach. You will walk what you talk. Jesus said you will know the tree by the fruit that it bears. We can say all day long, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. You know what? The people that live with you know whether or not you're a Christian. The people that work with you know whether or not you're a Christian. The people who live in your neighborhood know whether or not you're a Christian. The guy that picks up your garbage knows if you're a Christian or not. <laughs> a lot of folks know whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian. Where is the evidence? If you were put on trial and accused of being a believer in Jesus Christ, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or would you be acquitted? That's a sobering thought. But you see, Rahab's faith, it was informed by the word of God. It was a concerned faith. She was concerned about her loved ones and friends and family. She was concerned about them, but it was also a faith that was moved into action. You go in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, and it talks about all these people who had faith, but then their faith moved them to action. Abraham believed God, and he left, and he went to the place where God told him afterward he should inherit Abraham, when he had received the promises, didn't spare his only son, but he offered him up. You see, that was a difficult choice, but it was evidence that Abraham's faith was legitimate. Rahab's faith was legitimate because she not only believed the promises, she was not only afraid of the, the fear of the Lord, but she was moved into action. She put her own life at great risk. I mean, by doing what she did, she was a traitor. She was an enemy of the state. She faced the penalty of execution by the, the king of Jericho. If she were to be caught harboring the fugitives and aiding and abetting them in their escape, what would happen for her? She'd be guilty of treason. And she would be executed. And consider this also. I thought about this as I was preparing the message. Rahab not only had to she not only put at risk her, her own life, but think about her family. We're not told that all of them were believers necessarily. Maybe they were. We don't know. But what about them? How did Lot fare when Lot decided to tell all of his family that God was going to judge the place? How did that go? Didn't go so well for him, did it? They laughed at him. They said, whatever. But Rahab apparently had some influence. And she was moved and she sent the spies out another way and she harbored them and she helped them and she had a, a faith that was moved to action and, and the last thing she did was that she, she followed the token of the covenant, the scarlet cord that same one that she had let them down with she bound that scarlet cord in the window well how did it work out for, uh, for Rahab, do you want to know? let's go to Joshua chapter 6 
Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to give you the Battle of Jericho in about 30 seconds. And I'm really not doing you justice by doing that. But that, that's the message all on its own. So God tells Joshua how to destroy Jericho. The city, by the way, the walls of Jericho didn't just fall down. The Bible says they fell down flat. That was a miracle in and of itself. They fell down flat. So what was the strategy that God told Joshua to do? Might be interesting what he told him to do. He told him to march around the city for six days, one time a day, and then on the seventh day to march around the city, how many times? Seven times. And the guys didn't go out with knives and swords and rifles, bayonets, AR-15s. They went out with trumpets. That's an interesting battle strategy, isn't it? Rather interesting. Now think about this for a moment. All right, you're Joshua 6. Verse 1, it says, Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. You know, I believe that that's not only true in the physical, but I believe it's true in the spiritual. I believe that this, this wicked city was completely shut out to God. They, they, were, uh, they had made their minds up about the Lord, and they weren't interested in what he had to offer. And they were just shut in. The one notable exception would be a window in the wall. <laughs> A window in the wall where there's a scarlet cord hanging down. And I just, you know, I'm just picturing this in my mind. Seven days. I mean, you got a million people at least that are marching around. And each one of them, as they go around the wall, they notice there's one house that looks different than the others. Amen? There's one that looks different. And I believe that Rahab, she was probably really conspicuous in her display of the red cord. Amen? We want to make sure they see this thing. Right? We're flying our, we're hanging our shingle. We're flying our flag. And so she's got this red cord in a real conspicuous place, I can just imagine. And I just think about it as the Israelites walk around day after day after day, and they see that red cord. You know, that's the only change in scenery in all of this neighborhood is that red cord. And I believe their minds harken back for some 40 years earlier when the children of Israel, their ancestors, their parents, they were leaving Egypt on that last night after God had visited the children of Israel and Egypt. He had visited Egypt with nine plagues and there was yet one plague to come. That was the plague of the death angel. And on that night, God instituted the Passover. And what he told the children of Israel to do was to remain in their homes on that night and to put blood on the doorpost of the house. To put the blood on the outside of the home. And God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And I believe those Israelites, they got a glimpse again of what that first Passover must have been like when the red blood was applied to those door, that, that doorpost and knowing that God was going to spirit, and they saw that red cord there on Rahab's, in Rahab's window. And they said, we remember the Passover. We remember God's deliverance of the children of Israel. God is a covenant-keeping God. God is a God of promise. And here we have the Passover being reenacted once again. The Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, has been sacrificed for us. And let me tell you, just like Rahab, if you'll put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, God will not see your sins. He'll see the blood, and he'll pass over you. Glory to God. So they're marching around the city and they do just like God told them to do. I told you it was going to be a 30-second narrative and I just preached five minutes on the Battle of Jericho. I'm a preacher. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And you know when the preacher says, in closing, he's lying. Whenever he says, all right, one last thought here. All right, now, we're still in Joshua 6. Okay. Notice what Joshua says in verse 22. No, I'm sorry. In verse 17, Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. Let me ask you, saved person, are you praying for your lost loved ones? Are you praying for your unsaved children? Are you praying for your unsaved grandchildren, spouses, neighbors, co-workers? You and I are probably here today because some mother 
had a tear-stained pillow or a tear-stained altar somewhere crying out to God, God, please save my son. God, please save my husband. Please save my wife. Don't let my grandson go to hell, God. Reach out to him. And Rahab's got this, this, co this company of people in her house, and Joshua's going to hold true to the covenant. Now notice what it says in verse uh, 21. They utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkey, with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house. Rahab can't catch a break, can she? I mean, she can't shake that moniker no matter how hard she tries. But <laughs> go to the harlot's house, and from there, bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. I'm kind of reminded of the Philippian jailer in the book of Acts. You know, when God broke Paul out of jail and the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved and your household. Now, I don't believe that you're saved just because you're related to a Christian. That's not what the Bible teaches. But I believe that we ought to claim those promises of God. God, you didn't just save me to be just saving me, Lord. You wanted me to pray for my loved ones and my family and my friends. And I want to see them in heaven, God. And I'm entrusting them into your care. I just believe it with all my heart that God wants your family to be saved. If you're a Christian, God wants you to be there. You are the instrument. You may be the only Jesus that they ever get in their life. You may be the only one. Some people want a worldwide ministry. I'd love to go and, and win all these people to Jesus. You know what the most noble thing you could ever do is to win your family to Jesus? That's the most noble thing you could do. The apostle Paul, he told Timothy, he said, Look, if a man doesn't know how to take care of his own household, how can he take care of the church of God? I thank God I've got some believing children. But you know what? God is a God of covenant keeping, and he will show mercy to them, to the children's children. All right. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father and her mother, her brother, and all that she had. Looks like this was a successful intercessory prayer, doesn't it? So they brought out all her relatives, praise God, <laughs> and left them outside the camp of Israel. Now, at this point, they're not ready to come into the camp. Let me put it this way, if you'll allow me. They're saved, but they're not sanctified yet. <laughs> How many of you know when you get saved, you don't have it all together? We, we, I mean, we sing that song all the time, don't we? Just as I am. But see, the church oftentimes, we try to do fishing in reverse. We try to clean them before we catch them. You ever try to clean the fish before you catch it? That's a risky endeavor, isn't it? Yeah, no, we don't do that. Why? You catch a fish first and then you clean it. Yeah, God will meet you just as you are, but guess what? He ain't going to leave you that way. That's what we call sanctification. So they were not yet, they were, they were not yet uh, within the camp. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. Well, did the sanctification mission work? Well, let's see. Look at verse 25. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. But now notice what has happened. So she dwells in Israel to this day. She's now been assimilated into the camp. <laughs> God is able to graft us into the family of God. Aren't you glad? We are no longer strangers, and pil uh, you know, strangers uh, uh, from the covenant of promise. But we have been, we're members of the household of faith. Praise God. And she dwells in Israel to this day. That gives you some indication on when Joshua was, was written, by the way, for those of you who like that kind of thing. Apparently Joshua was written soon after the conquest of Canaan because Rahab was still alive when it was written. And why? Because, notice there's a cause and effect, because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Wow. What a happy ending to the story. Right? You say, good preacher, let's go eat. <laughs> Not so fast. What are the greater implications of all of this? Well, for one thing, it's a great illustration for the Christian of how God will leave the 99 and go after the one. What a great illustration of that. And, and that won't mean a whole lot to you unless you're the one. <laughs> he left God. 
See, Jericho was going to be destroyed, but those two spies, they had a stop along the way. Just like Jesus Christ, it says in John's Gospel, it says that he, he was going on his way, but he must needs go through Samaria, Samaria because there was a Samaritan woman that he had to meet. There was a woman at the well that Jesus had to meet. They had an appointment from the foundation of the world. And see, Joshua and the two spies that he sent out, they had an appointment they had to keep in the harlot's house, and that appointment was made from the foundation of the world. It was no accident. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. No accident that these guys end up in Rahab, the harlot's house, of all places. Matthew chapter 1. What was the title of my message? Some of you don't remember. Christmas in Jericho. Christmas in Jericho. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. So you should have no trouble finding it. If you do, raise your hand and I'll come help you. Matthew chapter 1. And watch me get back there and I won't be able to find it. That's what happens when you talk, you get all cocky. All right, Matthew chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Boy, that's quite an introduction, isn't it? That's a profound theological statement. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament ever promised. All right, and then we get into the, that, that list of names. That stuff that you guys just avoid every chance you get. The older I get, the more I love the genealogies. I know I'm weird like that, but I just like them. There's stuff in there. There's some gold to be mined if you'll, if you'll spend some time digging around in there. Okay. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. You notice, you notice Ishmael's not listed here. Neither is Esau because they're not germane to the story at hand. Jacob begat Judah. And his brothers. He had, he had 11 of them. But they're not mentioned by name. Why? Because the Messiah didn't come from, uh, from Benjamin. The Messiah didn't come from any of the other Zebulun. Where does the Messiah come from? Judah. Judah. That's why Judah is mentioned here. So Judah. And Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begat Hezron. And Hezron begat Ram. Ram begat Amenadab. Amenadab begot Nashon. And Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Whoa. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of who? Uriah. Let's stop there. It's interesting to me. Very interesting. Very very unusual to have four women mentioned in a genealogy of this magnitude. And Matthew, had he wanted to, if he was just trying to give a nod to the feminine species, he could have mentioned Sarah. Right? He could have mentioned Rebecca. He could have mentioned Rachel. But instead, he mentions Tamar, we talked about her. Remember that sordid affair? Had an incestuous relationship, and Perez was born out of that. She was probably a Canaanite. She probably was not an Israelite. Okay. Uh, what about Ruth? We studied about her. She was from where? Moab. She was a Moabite. The Bible goes you know, out of its way to let us know she was a Moabitess. Now, she was a person of noble character, but she was an outsider. The Moabites were forbidden to come into the assembly of Israel. What about that third one? Uh, we talked about her the last couple of weeks. What's her name? Starts with a B. Bathsheba. She was the wife of Uriah. Uh, we don't know her nationality, whether she was Jewish, she was married to a Hittite. I, we don't know. There's three women here mentioned. All of them with some irregularity, you know, some unusual circumstance. Certainly Tamar with Judah was unusual, improper. Ruth being married to uh, uh, an Israelite, but she's a, she's a Moabitess. 
Bathsheba, certainly. Had no business being with David initially. What about that fourth lady mentioned here? Rahab. Rahab. Christmas in Jericho. See, God says, I got to send some boys to Jericho because she doesn't know it yet. But she's going to be the great, 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 great grandmother of the Son of God. She doesn't know it yet. But you've got to go get her out. Because, see, I've got a plan for her. And that plan didn't start that day that the two spies went into Jericho. That started way back when. beginning of time. Ephesians 1 says that God has chosen us to believe in Jesus Christ from the foundation of the world. Now that doesn't happen until we in time and space make him our savior. Okay. But Rahab plays an important part. And what does Matthew show us in all of this? Well he shows us that God has always been concerned about saving everybody, not just the Jews. And not only is he concerned with saving people across ethnic lines, but it does not matter what your background is. You can be a, uh, you can be a, a rich, wealthy man of faith like Abraham or a woman like Rahab who had a very, very, very checkered past you see there may be somebody here today listening to this on Facebook or a CD or maybe here in this auditorium this sanctuary and maybe you wonder can God make anything of the mess of my life well just ask Rahab the harlot and she'll say not only can God forgive your past but he can give you a really bright future you see he can bring you into the covenant a promise in the community of faith. And you can be a part of something grand and glorious. Even though you may not even be able to perceive. What God is doing or what he wants to do. In your life. It doesn't matter what you've done. Where you've been. The grace of God. Is able to save all men. Amen. It is not the will of God that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. That means you. That means me. That means everybody that's living on planet earth. It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But what you and I have to decide is the kind of faith that we are going to have. Some have no faith at all. Is our faith just a dead faith? Do we just believe the creeds of the church? Do we just come to church because that's what we do every Sunday? You know. Now, I joked around about the, the football field being full on Saturday. There used to be a time when the churches were full on Sunday morning. And I believe this church will be again. By faith, I declare it in the name of Jesus. But it ought to be that God's house is full. It ought to be that God's house is full. You see. But just being in a church doesn't save anybody. You can go to church every Sunday and split the gates of hell wide open. And I guarantee you right now there are people in hell who would testify and say, yeah, I was going to get saved tomorrow. I was going to get saved next week. If I just had one more opportunity, just, just let me get through the holidays. And then I'll deal with all this religious stuff. You don't have that opportunity. Rahab had a short wind of opportunity, didn't she? She didn't know how long it was going to be before Joshua came marching in with the track. Uh, you know, time was running out. And she sensed the urgency of the hour. I, I want you to sense the urgency of the hour. Folks, the, the stuff that's happening in our world, it's not just by coincidence. It's not by happenstance. And I'm not just a prophet of doom. I'm not here trying to set dates for the rapture. Lord knows. Nobody, nobody knows the day or the hour. Nobody does. But I can look at all the things around and Jesus said, you can see when it's near, it's at the door. And I can see it. I mean, Israel's back in the land. We have unrest in the nations. There's uh, natural disasters going on. There's apostasy in the church. 
There's apostasy in the world. There's, all, there's, there's division. There's more racial division in the world than I've ever seen in my lifetime. Nation against nation, ethnic group against ethnic group. I mean, we're seeing it in our very... There's wars and rumors of wars. The undercurrent of war is everywhere. We're seeing, even in our economy, things that are harbingers. We're not in the tribulation period by any means. But if you think things are bad now, you've seen nothing yet. Pestilences, the Bible says that there's going to be a time of pestilences. Diseases for which there will be no cure. You know, I'm firmly convinced of this, that they're going to get everybody inoculated with, you know, four, five, six, seven booster shots, and then something else is going to come through, right? And then, so, and then you know, it's, it's just on and on and on and on and on. The Bible says that there is coming a one-world government and a one-world ruler. And I can see it, man. Can you guys see it? I mean, you can see it. It's, it's just a plan as the nose on your face. So as far as that goes, the window of opportunity is closing. But for each one of us personally, personally. And I told you about this last week, I think. Friend of mine, colleague in ministry, preacher of the gospel, young man, left behind five kids this week. A wife and five kids. Now he's with Jesus Christ, you know, and his, his worries have passed, but I talked with him just a few weeks ago. And you know, in our conversation about things, we talked about Bible prophecy. And we never talked about the fact that he wouldn't be here. Within a, less than a month, he wouldn't even be here. Our lives are a vapor. We're here for a little time. You can be the best driver on the planet. But what about that kid who's filming a TikTok video while he's driving and crosses the center lane and hits you head on. You can, you can eat whatever. You can eat grilled chicken and never have any fats or fried foods and, and, have, and, and work out every day and you can just drop dead. Your heart can just stop beating. You can die in your sleep. I've seen it so many times over the years. Somebody's the, the, the a picture of health and just suddenly die with no, no rhyme or reason. We are here today. We have this one moment, this one opportunity. And if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, see, you don't have to lay out the scarlet cord. The, 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 the scarlet thread has already been put out for you. The blood of Jesus has already been shed. Okay? And when God looks, he's going to look to see if the blood has been applied. Would you stand? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I make an appeal to you today. Don't, don't leave this place without getting right with God. Would you come?